If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. I want to start off tonight with a question. Can you remember the very first time where you felt the emotion or the experience of being in love? Can anyone remember that very first, like, very first moment where you looked at someone and you went, that person looks nice? What I want to do is I want to tell you about the very first time that I thought, okay, this is very important, the very first time where I thought that I had that emotion towards someone else. I was a very mature nine years old, okay, a very mature nine years old. I was about the same length and height as I am now. Not much has changed in that department. But you're grade three, you know, something like that when you're nine years old. A very mature grade three. And what happened was I had this friend in class that was sitting next to me every day because I don't know if they still do it, but back then we sat alphabetically. So, and both our surnames started with the same letter. So we ended up just sitting next to one another. Otherwise, I would have never known he existed anyway, okay? Because I'm nine years old. You only worry about what's in my lunchbox, you know, which tree am I going to go climb during break time? You don't have deep things like, who am I going to love one day, you know? But I have this friend next to me. His name is Dean, okay? Dean. I don't know. That's a strange name. Any Deans out there? I hope not. It would be awkward if he's here tonight, but I think he's long gone anyway, all right? But this friend Dean sitting next to me, okay? And one day, my friend Dean next to me, he, you know, does like this awkward little paper shuffle, you know, because you never said out loud when you liked someone. You always had to write it down. And then you had to like send it via 20 other people to their table. And then everyone would like be like, oh, you know, what's going to happen? But one day, my friend Dean He shuffles this paper over to like my half of the table. And on the paper is written, Aiden, Aiden, I like you, right? And all of a sudden I'm like, he likes me. Like, wow. You know how a nine-year-old pretty much reacts. I'm like, woo, he likes me. A few days later, my friend Dean, he kicks it up a notch. Okay, so now it's not enough that he just said he likes me. A few days later, he kicks it up a notch and he says, I think we should get married. Okay. Yeah, big, big jump. I know. Like, some of you are like, well, that's a big jump. Okay. One day he says, I think we should get married. Now, let me explain to you what he meant. I don't know if your school ever did that, but in my primary school, we had like pretend weddings. Okay. Amber says, hmm. Yes, you were in a girl's school though. That's awkward. <laughs> like, that's a bit awkward. But we in our school, we had like pretend weddings during break time. And what we would do is the following. If you and your like friend, if you, you, know, you know, liked each other, you would have like a fake wedding during the 20 minute break time. And how that would work is your whole friend group and like a few other people, because everyone needed to know this, we would go to a specific tree right next to the rugby field. And I don't know if your school had this, but we called it the love tree. Did anyone have a love tree at their school? Only my school. Ian, thank you very much. Yeah, it was in JF now. Yeah, I get it. 
Chalkies, yes, I'm not going to lie, but this is exactly the school that I'm talking about, Chalkies, okay, but it's a really good school, please send your kids there one day, okay, but we go to the love tree, you know, during break time, and what you would do at your little pretend wedding during break time is you would carve your names into the tree, you know, like a Dean Hearts Aiden, you know, like Aiden Hearts Dean, you know, you would write your name, and then what you would do is you would go to the Snoopy, the tuck shop, and you would buy those fake plastic candy rings, you know, that you could eat, and you would give each other this fake candy ring as a promise of nothing, because it means nothing, and then you would be pretend married, but only for that break time, because what if the next day you want to marry someone else, you know? So it was only like a short-term commitment, because let's face it, we're nine, we don't know where this is going, like... What if I go to a different high school than him, you know, whatever the case may be. But we had little pretend weddings during break time. Some of you are thinking, hectic, I ate mud during break time and you were getting married. (laughs) Why am I telling you this? Because, I don't know if you would agree with me, but oftentimes we have skewed ideas when it comes to love, right? I would say, I love pizza, and I, which is true, I love pizza, but I would also say I love my husband, right? But loving pizza and loving my husband, it has to be different, right? Because if I loved pizza in the same way I loved my husband, then we have a problem, right? Or I would go, I love pizza, but I love Jesus, right? It has to be different. It can't be the same because loving pizza and loving Jesus has to be different from one another. But sometimes without us knowing it, we drag certain preconceived ideas into church when it comes to the love of God. And that is what my good friend on the cross here represents tonight. I heard via the grapevine that his name is Finn, if I am correct, okay? Sven represents some of the, let's say, inaccurate ideas that we oftentimes start believing in church when it comes to this idea of God's love for me and God's love for people, all right? So he's going to be the representation of that tonight. I'm going to refer to him a couple of times. So oftentimes we have skewed ideas. And what we're doing with our series on love, in case you are visiting with us or if you're new, uh, this is a brand new sermon series. We are in week three and we are discovering what the love of God actually means for me personally as an individual and what it means to those around me. Because interesting thing, but you can read throughout the New Testament, but whenever Paul specifically wrote about love, it's interesting. He wrote about it in the context of love being a verb, not a feeling, but an action. And that's something that we as a church want to discover more of in this next season. Not the airy-fairy Disney theory of love, because what does Disney teach us? Disney teaches me that one day I'm going to meet someone. This individual is going to be perfect. We are going to sing a love ballad in perfect unison, and then we will live happily ever after. It's this mushy, gooey, feeling type thing. But my friend, there's a reason 
why he also writes and he says, the love of God is deep and wide and high and we need to discover it. We need to grow into his love. I'm not speaking about mushy, airy-fairy, nine-year-olds pretending to get married. I'm talking about the real deal, the love of God that he has for you and that he has for me. I want to invite you to uh, get your Bible, whether it's the paperback or your phone or whatever the case may be. But my friend, in this church family, we love reading the word. So I want to invite you. I want to encourage you every single Sunday, bring your Bible Bring a notebook, bring a pen, write down what you experience God saying to you through worship. Write down what you're experiencing God say to you during the sermon. You can turn your Bible to John chapter 13. I'll give you a second to find it. It's in the New Testament, fourth book in the New Testament. But bring your Bible on a Sunday. Make sure you read with us. Even if the scripture is on the screen, read it for yourself. It's gonna help you process what God is busy with in your own heart. But with this series, we're looking at this new commandment that Jesus came and he gave his disciples. Because here's the thing, Jesus did not come to start a new religion. Do you know that? (laughs) Jesus did not come to start a new religion. He came to start a new movement. He did not come to polish the stone tablets on which Moses wrote the Ten Commandments. My friend, there's a reason why we do not have the Ten Commandments up on a wall somewhere in this church. It's because Jesus did not come to polish that. He did not come to improve that. He did not come to build upon the law of Moses. No, he came to start something completely new and the foundation, the very core at what Jesus came to do on earth was grounded, rooted, fully secured in this one thing, the love of God. And that's actually our theme for the year. It's something you're going to hear a lot. It's something we're going to speak about a lot. And it might sound simple. It might sound easy. But my friend, again, there's a reason why the love of God in Scripture is described as deep and wide and high and something to be discovered day after day after day. John 13, verse 34. I'm going to read it from my own Bible. I'm very excited about that. But John 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the one true mark of authenticity, you know, banknotes, they have marks of authenticity. People that work in banks, they have ways of kind of um, discovering when a banknote is a counterfeit, when it's a fake, when it's a double of something, when it's not real. And Jesus is saying the one thing that will be used from now on to 
um, state the authenticity of those who follow me won't be the law. It won't be their obedience to the law. It won't be how shiny they are. It won't be how moral they are. It won't be even how good they know their Bible. The one mark of authenticity when it comes to the Christian faith for my followers will be this one thing, love. The way you love each other. That's hectic. I don't know if I always do that well, to be honest, with loving other people. And Jesus is saying, this is the commandment from now on. It used to be the law. It used to be obey this. It used to be sacrifice this. It used to be do this. Now it is love your neighbor like I have loved you. That's crazy. Anything else would be counterfeit fake. Anything else would be not authentic. Jesus is saying the mark of authenticity when it comes to a follower of Jesus is how well you love other people. So if that's the standard, if love is the standard, then that means we need to have a pretty clear grip on what love is, right? I need to have a crystal clear understanding of what this love is if this love is such a high standard when it comes to the way God loves me and the way I ought to love others. It means I need to have a better understanding than nine-year-old me pretending to have a wedding. It means I need to have a grip on this thing that Jesus is trying to communicate. So what I would like to do for the rest of our time together tonight is I would like to look at the three dimensions of God's love because this would mean that God defines love, right? If he sets the standard, it is by his standards. It's not difficult to get, right? If he sets the standard, it's by his standards, right? And God's standard when it comes to love is incredibly high, my friend. I would like to invite you to turn to another portion of scripture First uh, John chapter 4. So you are in John, but just keep turning towards the end of your New Testament and you'll get to 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. I know that's confusing. Why didn't he just do all of it, you know, in like one letter? But anyway, we'll get there one day in heaven. We'll have that conversation, I guess. But in 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read together from verse 7. And it reads, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because, and this is probably the most famous verse when it comes to love and God. And then it says, because God is love. Do you notice John does not write God is loving? Did you see that? He didn't write, God is a loving God, which would be accurate, but that would be a much lesser representation because if he were to write that God is loving, then he would simply mean that love is one of God's many attributes, right? But instead, he chooses to put like an equal, you know, like a ischalaikon, an equal sign between these two concepts, God and love. They can't be separated from one another. He chooses to, to not say God is loving, but instead to say God is love. Friends, there are very few references like that in Scripture when it comes to who God is. Isn't that incredible? Because he could have used anything else. 
to describe himself. He could have used many more magnificent things, you know, almighty, holy, powerful, and all of that would be true. But instead, he chooses to reveal himself as what? As love. And then it goes on to say, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So he's basically saying, he's basically saying, how did God choose to reveal himself? If he is love, how did he choose to reveal himself to his people? And then he goes on to say, through his son, who he sent into the world. Friend, if you're wondering what God is like, look at Jesus. If you're wondering what type of God God is, God the Father, look at his son. His son is the exact representation of who he is. So if God gets to define love, if we work via his definition of love and not my nine-year-old pretend wedding (laughs) definition of love, then we need to have a crystal clear understanding of what that means. So what I want to do is, I want to look at the three dimensions of God's love because my friend Sven, he would always refer to the old when it comes to God. He wouldn't refer to God and love in the same sentence. He would always refer to God as angry, as judgmental, as, you know, one that gives laws that you need to obey. Otherwise, you'll never be welcome in his presence. That's the old, my friend. That's the old way of thinking about God. But Jesus came to start something new. He came to reveal new dimensions of God's love that was so radical, so crazy at the time that the the love of God that he revealed to people ended up with him being killed for it. That's how crazy and radical it was what Jesus revealed. So we're going to look at the three dimensions of God's love. And they are this, justice, grace, and truth, the three dimensions of God's love, justice, grace, and truth. And we're gonna look at one story that kind of cements all three of these dimensions of God's love into one epic moment. And I wanna invite you to turn your Bible back again to John chapter eight. Just wanna say John is a fantastic book to read if you're ever wondering about the love of God, okay? There's a reason why John the apostle was so bold to write about himself, I am the disciple that Jesus loves. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I hope that you refer to yourself in that way as well. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. Can you just say that for a moment out loud for yourself? Let's all do that exercise together. Let's say it together. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Now you have to say it like you mean it. Let's try it again. One, two, three. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. John is a fantastic book to read, if ever you doubt that, my friend. But let's turn to John chapter 8. Let's start reading from verse 1. It says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So immediately you need to notice one thing. Whatever happens after these first few sentences means whatever happened happens in public. Why? Because it says he went to the temple again, as he did, and all the people came. He was very popular at this stage. And all the people came to listen to Jesus. So whatever happens after this happens in a setting 
much like we have tonight, a very public setting. All right, let's read on together. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Let's pause there for a moment. My friend, this is awkward, okay? Because I'm willing to bet that they weren't busy with adultery in the middle of the street, okay? They were probably in a home somewhere in a room, right? Busy with the act of adultery. So what that means is she was busy cheating on her husband. She was busy in bed with another man, all right? And I'm like, were the Pharisees looking for people? Did they like send out spies to go and like lure into people's houses to see what are they busy with? Because how did they know? I mean, it's not like they had social media. They could post. They were on a date together. I mean, did they like go spying on people trying to see who's busy disobeying the law? Probably. We don't even know that. But it says they found this woman in the act. They bring her to Jesus I'm probably wondering, did they even give her a chance to get dressed? We don't know. Did they pull her, grab her by the hair, fling her out the door, you know, throw her in front of Jesus? We don't know. Probably. That's how I imagine it. Very awkward. They say, caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act. Again, that's so awkward. Like, man, this had to be the worst moment of her life, right? Let's go on to read. It says, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They say this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. My friend, this is the perfect example of straw man religion. Because let's face it, I can dress up Sven as much as I want. He'll always be dead. I can make him look as nice as possible. He'll never be a real man. Okay, this is a counterfeit man. This is a fake. Okay, there's no life in this thing right next to me. And what is busy happening in this moment is such classic straw man religion. Why? Because straw man religion will always scream judgment. Straw man religion will always scream shame. Straw man religion will always scream condemnation. Straw man religion will always pull out the law and force you to be judged by that law. And what does Jesus do in this moment? He brings about a sense of justice, but let me explain how. How does our justice system work? It works like this. If I break the law, right, who will be punished? Me, right? If I break a law, if I steal from a bank, if I drive 200 in a 60 kilometer an hour area, who will be punished for breaking the law? I will be punished for breaking the law. And if I, in breaking the law, harm someone else, what will happen to that person? They will in some way be compensated, right? If I speed 200 down Nelson Mandela and I run over a student in one of the crossings and they miraculously survived, I will be punished and that student will be compensated, right? I will have to pay something for that student. I will pay for their healing process or whatever the case may be. That's justice, right? And what happens in this moment? Jesus brings about a sense of justice, but in an opposite manner. How does he do that? Let's read together. It says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. 
And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. (laughs) Crazy, right? He doesn't bring punishment. He doesn't bring wrath and judgment. He doesn't bring the law. He doesn't bring Sven, the straw man religion into the conversation. Instead, he sets her free. What? You see, justice in the kingdom doesn't work like justice as we know it on earth, right? Justice on earth is I break the law and I will be punished. Justice in the kingdom is I break the law and someone else is punished. What? 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 Doesn't make sense. How does that work? And yet that is, my friend, the love of God on perfect display for you and me. What would give Jesus the authority in this moment to make a statement like that? What? The fact that he knew her punishment that she deserves, according to the law, he would take upon himself. He will take punishment from the judge. He will be part of the process where the judge has to put things right because that is what justice is. Can you see the love of God on display in his justice? Isn't that wonderful? Let's continue. Let's apply. Let's quickly just apply this first dimension of God's love into our lives. And I want to do that by one question. Friend, do you live under freedom or punishment? Simple as that. How you apply that love dimension in your life is by answering that question. Do you live under freedom or under punishment? Because my friend, if you still believe that God punishes today, then you are living in old straw man dead religion. Because God, let me break your mind for a second. God does not punish anymore today. He did punish once and for all fully when Jesus was on the cross. He is no longer angry at you. Do you know that? He likes you. He loves you. He did punish. He had to punish. He had to be just and inflict justice on the world. But he did that once and for all, fully for all eternity via his son. Doesn't that take the pressure off? Can you see the love of God on display? Lastly, the two last ones, I'm going to run through them. The second dimension of God's love is his grace. We see this in verse 10. Let's read. He says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus says probably the most incredible five words in all all the Bible. I'm pretty sure of it. And he says this, neither do I condemn you. Can you hear that tonight just for yourself for a second? Can you just put yourself there for a second and just hear your father saying, neither do I condemn you. Straw man religion will condemn. The law will condemn. Jesus, my friend, my brother, my sister, can you hear that tonight? Neither do I condemn you. The accusers, they left. Let's apply this dimension of God's love into our lives. And by this one question I want to ask, who are the accusers in your life that need to be silenced? (laughs) Who are the voices that drag you out in public saying, according to the law, this person deserves this? Who are those voices? Can you hear Jesus not condemning you like they do? 
Can you hear him putting his love on display for you via his grace? It's incredible. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. Lastly, the third dimension of God's love is his truth. And in this story, we get to see that in the very last few words where Jesus has a conversation with this woman and he simply says the following, go and from now on sin no more. That's my second favorite few words in the Bible. After neither do I condemn you is this, my favorite words in the Bible. Go and sin no more. He speaks truth over her suddenly because you see God's love does not only cover. It does not only excuse. It does not only do away with punishment. It does not only right what is wrong. But my friend, the love of God put on full display in his truth will always enable us to realign our lives with who he says I am. And that's what he does with this woman in this instant. He realigns her identity with the truth of who he is. He says, you are not a whore. That is not who you are. You are not someone that lives in shame. You are not what has been done to you. You are not what you have been doing. You are not your past. You are not your mistakes. You are mine. You are my daughter. I love you. You are cherished. You are precious. You are valued. You are important to me. You have my full attention. And then he says, go. Live in that. Don't live like this. Don't live in the lie. Don't believe the lie. Don't settle. Don't settle for the lie of the enemy over your life. He says, go. Live in the life I have for you. Live in my truth. His justice in making things right, putting things right where it should be by taking upon the punishment that we were deserving of, taking it upon himself, his grace, by not only taking away the punishment, but then bringing in blessing to us, because that is grace, unmerited favor. It doesn't just do away with punishment, but it actually gives something good even in return. It's like saying, I break the law and then I am still blessed even. What? That is belachelijk. It is crazy. And then this truth, where he says, go, don't sin. Live in the life I have for you. Can the worship team please join me on stage? We need to just respond with this, I believe. And the very first response, I think, that would be appropriate after a realization like that is, friend, somewhere in your journey of discipleship, Somewhere in your journey of being someone who does not know Jesus, who is far away from Jesus and then meeting Jesus and coming to know Jesus. But somewhere along your journey, you and I will have to realize at one point that we were the one caught in adultery. We were the one caught in the act of worshiping other things that is not Jesus. We were the one that was dragged out in public and under the law deserving of death. We were the ones caught. Have you had that moment? 
Have you had that moment where you had the realization, I am the one caught? I am the one caught in the most shameful act of not worshiping God, but worshiping myself, worshiping other things, worshiping success, worshiping sex, worshiping money, worshiping my studies, worshiping my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever the case may be for you. But have you had that moment, my friend, where you've realized I am the one who has been caught? And I want to just give an opportunity. If there is someone and you're realizing, I am in public. I have just been caught and I have been dragged out in public and I am actually deserving of punishment, but I see Jesus. I see Jesus and I want to grab a hold of Him as quickly as I can. I actually want to come to know Jesus for the very first time tonight. I want to give that, I'm going to give that opportunity as often as I can while preaching because I want you to invite friends who don't know Jesus because in this church, they will get an opportunity. We will invite them. We will ask them, do you know Jesus? Is there someone like that? Tonight, you want to make that decision. You want to make the decision of following Jesus. You haven't done that before. You can just put up your hand quickly. I want to see who you are. I want to pray for you. And I want one of our leaders just to come minister to you for a moment. Is there anyone like that? I'll give you the opportunity, my friend. Wonderful. Great. The second prayer is an easy one then. Can I invite you to stand? The second prayer I want to pray is this. If that is the standard, if that is love as defined by God, and it's not nine-year-old pretend wedding stuff, it's, it's the real deal. It's the real deal love of God. If that is the standard, will you with me agree that we will love people like God loved us with unmerited favor, unconditionally? Will you put up your hand to love the people in your office who you don't like? Will you put up your hand to love those students in the race that you don't like? because they look different, they speak different, they act different. Will you with me put up your hand to go love that family member that you don't like, you disagree with them all the time? Will you put up your hand with me to love the broken people in our city, those people begging, those people we avoid eye contact with, those people we feel awkward around because it's awkward? Will you with me pray a prayer where we say, Jesus, I want to love like you have loved me. I want to take the love that you have so freely lavished upon me. And I want to go extend that love to my city, to my colleagues, my office, my friends, my family, and to strangers even. If that's you, please lift your hands and let's pray together. I want you to pray for yourself. Pray out loud. Pray your own prayer. If you don't know what to say, just say, God, use me. Use me, Jesus. I want to be a vessel of your love. I want to be a person that when people talk to me, when people look at me, when people spend time with me, they cannot but love Jesus more. Not because I'm nice, not because I'm relevant, but because I'm filled with the love and the power and spirit of Jesus. Father, that is our cry tonight. Fill us with your love. Let us become more aware, Jesus, like we sang, of your love for us firstly and Father. Help us, the church, be the vehicle for your love into the city 
of bloom. In Jesus' name, Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.